welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we're speaking with Jim Klein and Greg Hutchins about ERM practices around the world. So they'll be talking about some of the other governments and how they've uh, implemented ERM, challenges they've had, some lessons that we can learn from them, and some lessons they can learn from, from us. So I think you all will enjoy this one, and uh, without further ado, let's talk with Jim and Greg. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Very excited today to, uh, to speak to everybody, the audience here, about ERM practices around the world, and I have a couple great guests to uh, talk about that with. So we have Jim Klein, and we have Greg Hutchins. So why don't we have uh, each of you guys please introduce yourself. So let's start with Jim. Okay, thank you. Uh, I have a PhD in urban studies. Uh, I'm a certified enterprise risk manager, a senior member of ASQ, and a certified uh, manager of quality slash organizational excellence. Uh, in terms of practical experience, I have about 30 years of experience at uh, in government at all levels, so that's city, county, uh, state, and federal level. 10 years of management experience. Um, over the years, I've been writing articles on quality in government and risk, uh, enterprise risk management use in government. So I've got about 40 articles. And then I have a book that's uh, available on Amazon entitled Enterprise Risk Management and Government Implementing uh, ISO 31000 2018. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, Greg, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, Paul. Uh, good morning. Thanks for the opportunity. So um, we've been involved with risk for about 20 some odd years. We started with uh, writing books on risk management and uh, supply management. So essentially, I'm an engineer, professional engineer. We started with uh, working with Homeland Security. We were the first company to actually be certified by Homeland Security under the Safety Act for Critical Infrastructure Protection Forensics Assurance Analytics. Big fancy words, but basically talks about uh, cyber intrusion, cyber warfare, and uh, domestic homeland security, specifically cyber. And we also developed CERM, Certified Enterprise Risk Manager, oh, gee whiz, about 15 years ago for the government, largely Homeland Security Department of Energy. So we've been in this field a long time, and uh, we appreciate the opportunity to talk with you so thank you absolutely yeah and i see you guys have written tons of articles and and, and books and i think you, this will be a very interesting discussion so uh let's kind of jump into it here um the first uh let me step back a little bit so um jim and and, and greg you guys wrote an article for i believe it was aga journal the aga journal and it was about um, some ERM practices you've seen around the world, comparing it to the U.S., some lessons learned, some best practices. And that's really what I wanted to dive into today. So why don't we start off with with Jim? Maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit more. You know, in that recent article, uh, you did look at ERM across four different countries. You know, tell us, what did you find? Well, uh, there were kind of four points that we were trying to make in the article uh, the first point is that uh, accountants and auditors are pushing ERM uh, in government, and this is occurring worldwide. So that was uh, one of the things is, uh, we were interested in knowing 
uh, how what are some of the drivers? Who's who's driving and who's pushing it? What are some of the mechanisms that are being used to uh, have governments uh, implement enterprise risk management? Uh, as you said, uh, the examination was worldwide, uh, so we found out that it is being used uh, uh, globally in governments at all levels. Uh, the primary uh, examination was uh, Commonwealth countries, so uh, that, that included Canada, uh, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and the UK. Uh, as your readers or uh, listeners know, there Finally, two types of ERM models. There's uh, ISO 31000 and there's COSOL ERM. Uh, 31000 is used primarily, uh, well, it's, it's the dominant model uh, in Commonwealth countries. So that was uh, a thing that came out of this. Uh, in, the, in South Africa, COSOL ERM is a mandate. So that was uh, another thing. And then there's kind of several ways that uh, ERM is being um, uh, local governments particularly are being motivated to adopt ERM, and one's a mandate, uh, and New South Wales has just recently mandated uh, that all of their local governments uh, adopt ERM, and they've laid out a, a process uh, over the next five years for them to do that. Uh, South Africa has also mandated local governments to adopt uh, ERM. In that case, uh, it's uh, COSO ERM. So they're, uh, those were the, the four things that we were trying to to identify in the article and, and to uh, let people know what's going on. Right. So, and following on from that, so then what, you know, what were some of the biggest lessons uh, you kind of learned from those uh, governments overseas as far as implementation of ERM? Well, I think one of the biggest lessons uh, is that it's being successfully adopted. And uh, I think one of the good models is the, the Commonwealth of Australia, which uh, adopted ERM in 2014. Now, in 2017, they conducted a uh, compliance audit or implementation audit to see how effective the implementation process has been. And what the Commonwealth did for their agencies in their implementation manual was lay out 22 specific requirements. And these requirements are, are consistent with the processes that are used to implement uh, ISO 31000. So there's a, a great deal of consistency, but uh, they really granulated it for their uh, departments. And the audit concluded that uh, the employment department, for instance, was 95% in compliance. So of the 22 requirements, they met 21 of them. And the health department was 91% in compliance, which means they met 20 of those requirements, 20, 20 of the 20. So uh, it's, it's being successfully adopted. Now, that, uh, those are the, the employment department and the health department are the two top ones. They, they also did two other uh, departments, uh, and they, they weren't as, uh, as high on the uh, compliance list, but they were well over, uh, running around 55 to 60% in compliance. So even at the lower end, where some of the agencies are a little slower, they're still doing a good job. Uh, I think one of the things that helps them is that ComCover, which is their self-insurance arm, uh, conducts an annual self-assessment survey uh, for enterprise risk management. So this is a survey that goes out to all department heads and managers, and it asks them to 
rate how well they're doing on each of these 22 items. And uh, then they compile it, compare it, and then they give feedback to the agencies. So that's, uh, I think it's one of the lessons learned that continual feedback and giving the agency uh, heads uh, very specific uh, expectations of implementation, that that furthers the uh, implementation process along. Sure. And just a follow up on that, you know, if, if you went into this in your research, but I mean, what is your opinion of why it has been this successful, for example, in Australia? Is it just leadership from the top or really pushing this as a mandate? I and mean, what is your opinion on this, why it's been so successful? Well, I think I think uh, it's been successful because of the expectations that have been laid out to begin with and the continual feedback uh, uh given on the on the cam cover or com cover uh survey when they surveyed employees asking them if uh, they were aware of them and uh if they thought it was worthwhile uh 75 to 80 percent of them were aware of it and thought it was worthwhile so it indicates that uh it's being uh, the, the the idea of enterprise risk management and the idea concept of risk managing risk has permeated down to the lowest levels of the organizations. And it's just a matter then of the management uh, coming together and, and trying to blend those processes with their uh, their specific legal mandates. And did you find, um, you know, UK, Canada, were they similar in their success level or, or are they not quite at the same level? Um well, in the UK, it's a mandate for local governments only. It's, it comes under a best practice approach, uh, what they call a good governance framework. So annually, the local governments are supposed to uh, provide a risk assessment uh, of what they've been doing each, uh, each year. Uh, my examination so far, and this is strictly based on what they're providing in their websites, indicates that it's spotty. There's some districts and local governments which are doing pretty well have pretty uh, sophisticated approaches and some that aren't doing quite as well so it's, it's a little spotty there um, I just got done looking at some uh, Tasmanian trying to trying to look at the different approaches between New South Wales and Tasmania Tasmania is going with a good governance approach and of the uh, 29 cities I've looked at right now uh, it's about 85% of those cities have a risk management framework. So um, it's, it's taken hold in Australia. And I think part of it is the model that the Commonwealth has, has provided. Canada's uh, spotty. There's some uh, local governments which are doing fairly well, but there again, it's, it's a little spotty. South Africa, even though they have the mandate there again, it's spotty. So I think it's, um, it's, it's going to going to be a a push and a drive and a long term effort. So now let's flip that. So as far as uh, you know, what are some lessons you think these other countries can learn from what the U.S. is doing? Uh, well, I think in terms of implementation, um, it, it's you know, anytime you look, any anytime you've got an organization which is implementing a process like this, and then you can learn from that process. What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? Uh, for instance, the uh, A firm uh, 
survey that you did recently, I think, provides some in insights into what the, what some of the problems are, and that can be uh, those uh, those problems are uh, such as breaking down silos, management uh, uh, buy-in, um, and resistance to change. Those are pretty universal things that uh, you're going to encounter uh, on all the, on, uh, anytime you implement or uh, wherever you are. So I think those are some of the things you can learn from them. Um, I think Australia is a little bit ahead of us, uh, the United States in terms of implementation. But there again, they're going to run. They're running into some of the same problems that we are. So uh, I think uh, how we overcome them. Uh, the uh, under the 21st Century Highways Act, the Highway Administration uh, put together a ERM guide. Uh, for the develop for all uh, departments, uh, state departments of transportation, for their risk asset management plan, and that guide is uh, based on uh, 31,000, and I think that provides a model too. So you've got the federal playbook, which helps federal agencies. Then you've got uh, the highway, highway departments uh, um, model for uh, state departments of transportation. So those are two guides, I think, which uh, are also useful. Now, I'm just curious. Uh, I think something that some of the federal agencies here are starting to do, and, you know, just a couple, but it's still very effective, is risk appetite statements, like uh, actual official documents to put out there, you know, the agency's tolerances. And have you seen that anywhere else? Yeah, most of the uh, – if, if, if you use 31,000, that's one of the requirements uh, or one of the things that is uh, suggested, I say, uh, and you find that in almost all of the uh, uh, governance guides uh, for the agencies. So in, in their uh, risk, their, their application processes uh, and their frameworks, they will uh, list what the appetites are for various activities. So, for instance, uh, reputation risk. A lot of times there's almost no appetite for any Thing that's going to hurt the reputation of the organization. Uh, if you're doing something innovative, there's a uh, tolerance for for um, mistakes. If you're doing something innovative, financial risk, no appetite for uh, uh, for that occurring. So those are those things that go by category. But yes, you're seeing that's very common. So now speaking of mistakes, that's a, that's a good uh, uh, question I have here for you. What have you seen out there is um, some, maybe some mistakes that folks have made that we, we might want to watch out for over here? Well, uh, I think one of the most interesting things I encountered was the response of a city manager when uh, the auditor suggested that uh, the city adopt ERM. Uh, because I think it, it, it's instructive in, in the psychology and, and the process that things that need to be overcome and it goes along with some of the uh, uh, things that a firm survey found um, he had he made three points one it's not cost effective uh, it's not considered the best practice and none of his peers are using it so in the article that we that we're discussing uh, we, we fundamentally are trying to address those two of the issues two of the three issues uh, and that's it's not considered a best practice well, in the UK and in Tasmania, as well as uh, other places, uh, Canada, for instance, some of the, some of the governments, uh, local governments there are using the same approach. It's considered part of a good governance framework. So 
you have a list of things, of practices or activities uh, that are considered good governance. Uh, and then one of those is, is risk management. Now, the Baldrige uh, Performance Excellence Framework also added risk management uh, ERM to their, their framework a couple of years ago. So it's increasingly being seen as a best practice. And obviously, uh, since uh, it's being applied uh, and used by local governments worldwide, uh, you have plenty of examples of uh, your peers using it, whether it's at the federal level, the state level, or the local levels. Uh, I think that uh, the, the problems that, uh, that, that the APRM survey uh, encountered or highlighted, I think, are good examples of some of the, the issues that, that need to be uh, taken care of. Uh, one is this, the bridging of silos, uh, resistance to change, and lack of executive support. So those once again, those are pretty common issues that cut across the board. Uh, I think the, if I had to say one thing as far as what's, what's the biggest mistake, um, I think the biggest mistake would, would be to believe that uh, the adoption of our implementation of ERM is going to be uh, quick, uh, a one year, one year thing or a two year process. It's going to take some time because uh, you you've got a lot of work to do and you've got a lot of people to convince. And then ultimately, you got to be able to show it's cost effective. And how do you feel about, um, you know, audits, ERM audits? Uh, you know, are you seeing that out there? You think that's a good practice in general? I do. I think it's a good practice. Uh, the uh, New South Wales has used it, uh, and obviously, the Commonwealth has used it. Um, I've seen it uh, applied elsewhere in several other places. Um, and I think it's a good it's a good uh, control point. Um, state state of Washington for its initial implementation did a NERM audit uh, of, of state agencies. So it's, it's it is a good practice. Um, and I think it compares or uh, compares well. For instance, the ComCover survey uh, self assessment survey, as with all a lot of self assessment surveys. You, you tend to get great inflation. And so the audit tends to bring that down more to reality because uh, it's more objective. Uh, and so I think it's a, it is a very good practice. It needs, needs to be uh, consistently applied. Great. Well, so I'm going to ask Greg a question here. I know he's been waiting for me. Um, so this is kind of like the big elephant in the room question. So obviously we're all sitting at home right now because of, you know, the COVID uh, situation. And, uh, you know, I, I noticed in your article, it did mention that back in 2019, um, you know, the Congressional Budget Office and others in the government in the U.S. have been saying that, you know, they would definitely prefer for ERM to be much more proactive, that it tends to be very reactionary, um, and obviously, something like this black swan event like COVID is something that nobody would have thought of. But, I mean, to some degree, I think, you know, d global disasters should be in the overall uh, portfolio of things to look at. But so I guess my question for you, Greg, is, you know, how do you think we could ever get our ERM programs to be a little bit more, you know, preemptive versus reactionary? What You know, what steps could we follow? Oh, boy, that's an easy one, Paul. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, let me provide a little context. Is that okay? Absolutely. 
This is a real challenge in government, not only in the U.S., but throughout the world. We're living in a time of VUCA. You're familiar with the acronym, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. For example, in Portland, right now you've got fires all over the state. <laughs> Midday, three days ago, when the sun should have been out, it was pitch black. The other thing is we have public protests. So we have challenges now that are impacting the whole world. Pandemic, climate change, if you're a believer or a denier, regardless, something's going on. Uh, <laughs> we have social unrest. We have social justice issues. And quite frankly, people in government self-selected uh, largely to be employed to be uh, what I would call risk averse. So let's do a scenario. You're 22, 23. By nature, you're risk averse. Where do you go? You go into government. And essentially over 20, 30 years, you've been hired, trained, rewarded, promoted for one set of behaviors, risk averse behaviors. Now the entire world <laughs> is changing and government is simply not prepared. And, you know, both by nature, these are risk-averse professionals. Also, who would have expected all of these things to happen at once? So that's the big challenge. And I think that answers your question. Uh, why is ERM not being adapted quickly or adopted quickly? It's largely because the principles in the government are simply risk-averse. Sometimes it's the deer in the headlights Sometimes it's uh, they don't have the tool set. Can I sort of diverge with a little story? Sure. So, oh golly, how many years ago? About 15, 16 years ago, we were basically retained by the Department of Energy, Bonneville Power Administration, to do uh, risk training. The audience were SES, senior executive folks for Bonneville Power, there are about 20 of them. They all had budgets. They all had to do the A123 sign-offs. What type of sign-off? Largely financial controls. And a lot of them were not ready for this, and they didn't like that. But eventually got, they got around to it. How long did it take? About three years. Uh, the new A123, the OMB, Office of Management and Budget, came out in August, what, three years ago? And now they have to do sign-offs meaning if you're an SES, you have to do sign-offs on supply chain risks, IT risks, cyber risks, financial control risks, internal control risks. And, you know, it took them a long time just to be able to adopt or at least adapt their behaviors to sign off on the internal financial controls. Now they have to do sign-offs on all types of risks. And I've heard from a whole bunch of these SES executives, this little expression, I didn't sign on for this. <laughs> and of course, I spent a lot of time trying to explain the, the virtues and the benefits and all this important criteria of why they should adopt it. I mean, they have to adopt ERM, but you're right. They're waiting to the very last moment because a lot of them internally in private conversations say, I didn't sign up for this. I'm not ready for this. So largely, it's a, what I would call a institutional, systemic, 
behavior issue where they have to feel more comfortable with risks, understand the risks, take risks, and then eventually own the risks, meaning sign off on them. So it's a cultural process. Eventually, where we want them to be is to be proactive, preventive, predictive, and even preemptive in terms of the risk taking. But again, that takes years to change behaviors. Did I answer your question? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's, like you said, it's the, sort of the nature of government and other industries, you know, insurance, things like that, for sure. Um, I don't know, Jim, did you want to, do you have a couple of comments you want to add to? Uh, yeah, I think uh, Greg's point is, is, is very valid. I think he's got lots of experience doing that. I think I would, I would just say that um, let's have the opportunity to be proactive. There are restrictions, obviously, legal restrictions, special restrictions at all levels, but there are some commonalities, too, which I think allow uh, governments to be proactive in the risk assessment so that development and analysis of risk. Uh, almost all, all organizations are concerned about their reputation. Uh, increasingly, there's cybersecurity concerns, which covers all organizations. Uh, and then you have problems with uh, recruitment, retention, and development. That's, those are all commonalities. So those types of things uh, um, uh, can be structured into a, a strategic risk uh, register and uh, the risk analyzed, uh, mitigative actions developed and taken and then uh, and reviewed regularly. So I think there's some there are a lot of opportunities that uh, move forward if, if uh, management is so inclined. Well, very good. Well, I think we're near the end of our time here, but uh, maybe I'll give you guys one one final word if you want to put out there. Maybe if, uh, you know, something along the lines of um, just in your opinion, what do you think would be the most critical thing for governments to focus on right now for their ERM programs? I mean, you're pretty familiar with the U.S. where we are now, you know, as far as the maturity model. Maybe just a comment on where, where do you think, where do we need to go next? What would you, if you had to pick one thing, what would you stress for agencies to really focus on at this point in their maturity? Well, that's a difficult question. Because each agency is going to be a little bit differently, different. Um, I, I think I'd go back to what the, the three elements that uh, uh, you, you've identified in the uh, survey, and that's uh, bridging silos, so getting organizations uh, internally to work across functions, um, making uh, or letting the organization know that uh, while uh, enterprise risk management is a relatively new process, it is uh, founded in uh, activities which already have occurred. You've got the uh, performance measurements, and this is just another uh, uh, adaptation of, of the idea of performance measurements, only it's looking at risk, and then working on with the executives to, to build their support. Uh, and I think when you start talking about reputation risk, cybersecurity, those types of things which are common uh, and, and understandable to all executives, that you've got the foundation for moving forward and, and uh, really developing uh, mature uh, enterprise risk management Great. activities then, in, the, in the organization. And then how about, Greg, any final words from you? Any other words of encouragement? 
We just hope that the world becomes a little bit more stable because the things that are being, you know, the, the, the challenges of being a public administrator just went up 10 times in the last five years. And um, I just maybe even pray that, you know, we uh, give a lot more latitude to public administrating administrative officials. That's it. You know, just understand what's going on because they were not, <laughs> this is totally brand new for them. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you both very much for joining us today. I, I think this was a great conversation and uh, I will uh, put a link on the site to the uh, the article you guys wrote and to some of the articles and the books that you've written in the past. You're very prolific. So thanks again for joining us today. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Paul. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Check us out, affirm.org. All the risk chats are there. And, of course, you can download them to your phone or whatever device you like to listen on. And I will make one little note. We are going to put a link to the AGA Journal, which is where Jim and uh, Greg's article is. But it is a members-only journal. So if you're an AGA member, then you can check it out. If not, then... uh, Think about joining up for AGA. It's a good organization. Either way, look forward to bringing you more podcasts here in the very near future. And uh, until then, this is Paul Marshall signing off for Risk Chats with the Firm.